episode 19 of the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. You know who's unexpected? Dwight Howard ending up on six different teams before he came back to the Lakers. Get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today. Meanwhile, propercloth.com, you can easily create a custom shirt size in seconds by answering 10 easy questions. Propercloth gives you the choice to customize over 30 different style points or select from hundreds of pre-designed shirts. Stop wearing shirts that don't fit. Start looking your best with a custom fitted shirt. Go to propercloth.com slash basketball today. Enter gift code basketball to save $20 off your first shirt. Go to propercloth.com slash basketball. Coming up, I am going to be talking to Ryan Rossillo and Joe House about the one and only, unfortunately, unfortunately, Dwight Howard. It's a pyramid podcast. We are going to break down his entire career and figure out where he ranks in the top 100. My name is Bill Simmons. Let's go. Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast, Dwight Howard. When your best player isn't a leader, but he isn't a follower either, where are you really going? That was always the Dwight Howard dilemma, even when that muscle-bound freak was tossing up 22 and 14 in his prime. Dwight rose to prominence during a truly bizarre stretch for the center position. In the 90s, we had Hakeem, Ewing, Robinson, Matumbo, Shaq. We liked all those guys. Mm. By 2008, we had fat aging Shaq, breaking down Yao, and healthy Dwight. That's it. That's all we had. That made Dwight the all-caps next great center. Almost by default, only the dude couldn't shoot free throws, make a 10-footer, or pass out a low post. Watching him was like watching a good college football lineman dabbling in intramural hoops. I need like this, Rosilla. Yeah, the tools are there, and yeah, everyone's afraid of him, and yeah, he might cut a disgusting fart that clears out the paint, but you'd much rather someone else picked him. Jeffrey Ross could have done a 10-minute roast just on Dwight's prehistoric offensive game. Hey, Dwight, your low post game is like Tim Duncan after a head injury. You're the scarlet letter of Hakeem's summer big man camp. I'm trying to do a Jeff Ross impersonation. <laughs> Poor Dwight. His footwork looked like a buzz newlywed stumbling through his first wedding dance. Every one of Dwight's jump hooks looked like he was hurling a rock through a window. I think that was fair, right? It was not pretty. <sighs> And yet he was so freaking strong. A lot of times it just didn't matter. He's also the unofficial all-time leader in the following lists. Dumbest possible foul at the worst possible time. Most vicious blocks out of bounds that gave the ball back to the other team. So there's that. His offensive game never matured beyond dunks, alley-oops, and putbacks. His personality never matured, period. Dwight goes down as one of the biggest NBA superstar jackasses ever. He never, ever, ever, ever got it. Here's a great example. 2010 Conference Finals. Home court advantage on his side. LeBron has already been eliminated. Only the aging Celtics in Dwight's way. ABC runs a pre-taped interview at halftime of game one. Do you remember that interview? It was Dwight Howard dressed like Clark Kent interviewing Dwight Howard dressed like Superman. Cool. Meanwhile, Boston was up nine and stealing home court advantage from Orlando, which they did. They ended up winning the series in six. That is Dwight Howard. If Jordan was consumed by winning, Howard was consumed by having fun and winning people over. He had almost every bad quality of Shaq and barely any of the good ones. It was his fatal flaw. Gentle Giants never win titles. They only bring you close enough to break your heart. But, but, that was pretty harsh. There is a good legacy here. And that's the craziest thing about Dwight. He had a pretty excellent career. Five straight first-team All-NBAs, beat LeBron in the 2009 Conference Finals, put up a respectable fight in the 2009 Finals, second in MVP voting in 2011, almost made the Finals in 2015 in Houston. Our mistake was constantly comparing him to Shaq because he was really more like Matumbo 2.0. 
Dikembe only wanted to grab rebounds, throw elbows, challenge shots, wag his crooked finger after blocks. Howard only wanted to ram some dunks home, block some shots out of bounds, flex his muscles, smile to the crowd, interview himself during halftime shows. He's the most properly rated basketball star ever. There are no Dwight Howard arguments. He was one of the best players for a few years. Nobody enjoyed watching him that much. He always left you wanting more. That's it. One time, my wife noticed him on TV and said, my God, who's that? The same way you'd comment on the 12-year-old super freak in the Little League World Series, I said it was Dwight Howard. And she said, just looking at him, it seems like he should be the best player, right? No. That's the thing about basketball. It's not just about the physical gifts. He proved that more than any other 21st century star. He played for six NBA franchises, didn't belong to any of them. So I ask you again, when your best player isn't a leader, but he isn't a follower either, where are you really going? Ironically, it wasn't until this season, the tail end of his career, the abyss, his rock bottom personally and professionally, when Dwight finally figured out how to follow. And who did he follow? LeBron James, one of the three best players ever. But still, to our enduring shock and surprise so far, Dwight has reinvented himself as a valuable bench guy for a potential title team. Rebound, roll the basket, protect the rim, keep his hands up. That's it. That's all he does. How long will it last? We're taping this in mid-January 2020. It's impossible to say, but here's what we do know. Dwight Howard was a follower this whole time. At least he finally knows it. I have him ranked 65th in my Hall of Fame pyramid, level two, just ahead of Robert Parrish, just behind Bernard King. And there you go. You know what your, I like about that? Your immediate thoughts. Um, we weren't paying enough attention in the beginning, and I think you were noticing that we weren't paying enough attention as I was I, prepping. I knew I'd suck you in. Right, but I was prepping up. It's just, you know, I miss this guy as a writer house. Yeah. Because, you know, when I started, words. I started getting far more locked in. I, I, I thought that was a great summary. I have a million Thank things you. to say, but I don't know. Where, where would you start. start? I would start if you met me and said, hey, I'm I'm Dave. I'm like, hey, Dave, I'm Ryan. Hey, Dave, you know, Ryan, I'm a big listener of the pod. I'm like, oh, that's great. Like, well, you know, oh, I'm from Orlando. Oh, cool. Who's your favorite player? Dwight Howard. I'd be like, all right, we're done. <laughs> I couldn't hang out, talk to, remain in any kind of relationship with anybody who would say that Dwight Howard's their favorite player ever because I would just go, there's something so wrong with you. Something's broken. Yeah, if that's that's your guy. House, we have a pod that we already taped about game four of the 2009 finals where we talked about Dwight some. But uh, your your first reaction as you think about the Dwight Howard legacy, which is still unfolding a tiny bit. So we have a really impressive list of the most infuriating players to, to perhaps have ever played the game. Chris Webber is on that list. Dwight Howard is on that list. Russell Westbrook is on that list. I mean, I can think about some other guys. I'd throw T-Mac in there because I feel like T-Mac should have been like one of the 20 best players of all time. Yeah, Vince I think he, Carter, has, definitely. he has a bit of the injury thing. But boy, it's funny when you just put it all together in the modern era. It's like, okay, but that's the other part of the whole miserable player. It's like these guys are, we are canceling these guys faster than ever before. And it's it's a very predictable thing. It's like, we like you, you're new, it's exciting. And then it's like, what the hell's wrong with you? Except for we've had Dwight Howard. We We know his body of work. We had a good long run with him. And so the canceling, and, and I well, think- Well, this Bill's, one's justified. <laughs> and yeah. Bill's point, he is exactly properly rated. And it's, and you you emphasize it quite well with that, that great hypothetical. Is there any human being that, that from anywhere that would walk up and say, Dwight Howard's my favorite player? I can't imagine. I mean, unless it was just, you know, the, the very beginning of your introduction to basketball as a little kid, and it was fun, and it was Dwight, and he was winning the dunk contest, and he was in the Sports Center ad, and he was doing the Superman thing, which was completely unoriginal. You know, it's like, you know, no wonder Shaq doesn't like it. I mean, nobody likes you, but then it's like, hey, I'm going to be Superman. You're like, dude, I mean, it's not, it, like, give it, let's do the remake a little bit later. And he right. couldn't ever really figure that stuff out. And, you know, when you look at his run here, I mean, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Every argument for him he being in the be. Hall of Fame. Deserve it. Uh, yeah. You know what, though? I'd like it I'd like it if we did this. We'd be like, hey, if you're kind of toast by 27, despite how great the numbers were the first half of your career, are you really this first ballot Hall of Famer? He's going to get in because the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame, everybody gets into it. But think about this. At like age 27 is, is really, really when it starts. Actually, you could say 25, 26 when the Orlando thing, he wants out. And it was one of the weirdest things ever because he wants out. But then he sees everybody turning on him in a way that he'd never experienced before. And you're like, wait, I thought everybody liked me. Like, yeah. I eliminated LeBron in 2009. Like, here's this ascension. And then you're losing in the first round. 
You clearly are going behind your coach's back. That whole Stan Van Gundy thing was crazy. And then remember, he opted back into a contract that he didn't want to stay in to try to get everybody off of his case. And then you're like, this is the craziest thing because you actually do still want out, but you're you're screwing yourself up now in the way you're doing your contract. And well, then- it was it was a fear of of public enmity. And I remember talking it was about this. too late, too, and he didn't realize it. I remember talking about this when it happened because it was the first time I felt like Twitter and social media had kind of affected basketball. Because in the old days, he's just getting traded and that's it. He took so much shit on Twitter. And this was, I think, it was 2000, 2000, February 2012 or 2011. I can't remember. But he took so much shit during that 24 hours, that was the first time, even the decision, Twitter hadn't really mobilized into what it was. It took another few months. And that was the first time everybody was just like, ha ha ha, Dwight, you're such a jackass. And all of a sudden he was doing a 180 and staying in Orlando. And it was like, remember, House and I went to a basketball game. We saw him play in Orlando the last year he was there. It was the Patriots-Giants Super Bowl in Indiana. So it's February 2012. Orlando played Indiana. We saw it in, in, in Indianapolis. Right. You, me, and Jacoby went to the game, and we sat under the basket, and we just watched all things Dwight for two and a half hours, and a couple of things stood out. The physicality was- Unbelievable. Really, really memorably unbelievable. Impressive. Him just getting hammered. I think Hibbert was on the Pacers by he then, was. and David West. And, yep. um, him just getting the shit kicked out of him by those guys, and going back and back, but- you could just tell he didn't want to be on that team. He had no interest in connecting or interacting with any teammate he had. And it was like a ship's passing night. And it was a, kind of a memorable night. I remember all of us were like, man, what just, what was that? Because he put up his stats. He got to and, his 25 and 12. Won that game, by the in way. Orlando won. <laughs> but it was like, what was that? That guy didn't want to be there. He wanted the trade, going back to the timeline here, was the 11 season, start of the 11 season. February, January, February 11. And then... He decided to, in March of 2012, terminate the early, the ETO. So the early termination option, he agreed to waive it by signing papers in March of 2012. And his quote was, quote, I'm glad this is finally over. It's not as easy as some people think. I'm very loyal and I've always put loyalty above everything. He was traded to the Lakers months later. Right, because so, he decided to push his way out. Yeah, and remember, he wanted to be in Brooklyn, and then it led to all these different things. Let's let's stay where you're at, though, now on the basketball thing. Because when you first watched him, you went, oh, my God. Like, it was the Okafor-Dwight Howard thing, and Okafor was this established guy, this great UConn run. He was a little undersized. But I don't know that we were still always so convinced that it was going to be the high school kid coming out. I know it, I have a column where I was pretty strongly on Okafor over Howard. We watched that draft together. And made, we did in made fun of Orlando for taking Dwight Howard. Because there had been so many high school busts at that we, point. We were it still just seemed incredibly Brown. risky. Yeah. yeah, we were still post Eddie Curry. Sure, right. I mean, we were still kind of in that mode. And you're like, how can you not take this Oakford guy who like seems like he's everything a team would want? You're like, well, because he's older and you know we didn't know about the injury stuff back then, but he just was, was undersized. So if, it, if his back stuff doesn't go, I still think that's a defensible pick. It's like his back went out on him. But then Dwight has this start where you start thinking like, what can, what can this guy become? And in the beginning, especially with somebody who's like, he's really young to be entering the league. You're like, okay, the rebounding's there. The way he could switch on a smaller guys. I mean, the defensive rating numbers for those three or four years in a row are incredible. But remember initially he was a power forward. And it was a question of whether his body would fill out enough to be a center. And then all of a sudden, one of those seasons, the frame, like 07, it I was never, like, holy shit. I never really kind of understood that because the shoulders were there. And I thought like, okay, this guy's going to get huge at some point because you're still so young in the whole thing. But what, what became so glaring and the thing that got in his way through it all, and Jeff Van Gundy's like really revealing about this when he does Lakers games now because he's talking essentially about what he and Stan would talk about. Yeah. That Dwight was like, I want to be all of these other things and I don't get to be. But it's like, man, guess what? At the end of a game with two minutes to go, like at least Shaq had moves. Like he missed free throws, but he had moves. You don't have any moves. And as great as his power was and his explosion, there's different levels of athlete at that size. And he was never this fluid dribble and move guy. No. Like there were just all these things. So it was always choppy. It was always very robotic and it wasn't smooth and it never got any better. And as his star grew, the game didn't even catch up with it. And that had to be like, honestly, I think that's the origin of all of this frustration. 
I'm glad you mentioned the Jeff Van Gundy because I, I probably heard the same thing that you heard. It was just recently. He just did it. You're yeah, right. he just did it. And and similarly, on the Winging It podcast, Vince Carter had Lamar Odom on, and Lamar Odom talked about when the Lakers were against uh, the Magic, and uh, it was it's at the beginning of Game One. He shared this anecdote where he looked across the court and saw Dwight Howard, and you know they were kind of sizing it up. And Dwight Howard was yucking it up a little bit, trying to make jokes with Andrew Bynum. Right. And Lamar Odom was like, Imagine I knew we right traded then. for each other. <laughs> 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 well, right. So that that is a kind of a curious thing, because if the Lakers onboarded that bit of data about Dwight Howard, his killer instinct, his uh, um, maturity level, and still went ahead and traded for him. But that's a different podcast, so, probably. We talked about this in the second podcast that we're doing, but it, during 09, I wrote, um, it was the first time I started to wonder if he could actually get there. And I wrote, only in the past three weeks did I start thinking, you know what, he might get there. I wouldn't rule it out. Now, if we can only find him a low post mover three. I think those first five years, we just assumed the offensive game would unfold and get better. And it just was what it was. But even Van Gundy during that finals, he says during game four, if he ever played, because Howard's awesome in that game four. And Van Gundy says, if he ever plays with this energy and passion consistently with his strength and athleticism, NBA, you have no chance. And that, it felt like that was in play, I would say, until his body started to break down when he was in the Lakers. And maybe even that last Orlando season too, where at some point you just kind of are who you are, especially as a basketball player and especially as a center. You're not, you're not really adding a shitload in your late twenties, except for a three point shot, which was never happening with him. But at some point you are who you are. Well, just after a while, you just knew like, yeah, you're going to catch, you're going to be on the, on the low block. Um, you know, I don't remember, I don't, I don't doubt they did much elbow stuff with Dwight Howard where he was actually better as a cutter. Like he was better as somebody that was cutting off of like a weak side action or something, because then once he got it and his momentum, it was over, but he wanted all of those touches and he actually had a ton of post touches and he was bad at it. Well, like you, you go, don't you think it was because he's coming out of the generation of these awesome centers that all had low post games, except for Montumbo. And that's what a center was supposed to do. But really, he was the perfect center for what was about to come. And I don't think anyone realized that. So that's an in-between. He's a t he catches a tweener. It's wrong era. I yeah, think it wrong. becomes 10 years later, people are just like, dude, we're just putting you in screen and rolls. You're never, we're never posting you up. It's never happening. We're, we're, we're screening and rolling and you're going to get 25 points a game on dunks. Just trust us. Yeah, because, you know, there's another line that I had in, in doing this where it's like almost lost in, in transition in that if this were 20 years ago, Dwight probably would have gotten huge money just a couple years ago because they would have been like, all right, he's healthy, the back is good, and we're just going to throw it in the low post with him the entire time. Mm. Yet, he just, like, there's no number that tells you he was good at it. And then when you start talking, and you brought up a really good thing in the intro, the assists, his assist numbers are awful. Yeah, they're under the, two, and, and basically. It's, and it's not just, hey, he had he had more assists than you guys are giving him credit for. Like, I went and compared him to other assist ratio guys. He was always in the advanced, you know, assists per 100 possession. He's in the single digits his whole career. Like, a couple years where he's at nine, Hakeem had some really nice years. I mean, Embiid's almost at 20% assist ratio yeah. four years into his career. So if you look at, like, how Embiid catches and still reads, and, that you know, another reason why Embiid is better, and Embiid has more athleticism for his size. Like, I know people will listen to that be like, what are you talking about? And be like, no, no. Like, Embiid is smoother than Dwight Howard could ever dream of yeah. being. But Embiid, footwork. Embiid was still playing where Howard was was a was a post-up guy with no post moves who would, didn't realize, like, he was the only one that didn't see the same, the right player in the mirror who wasn't happy and then felt like, oh, I need a change. And you go, no, you need to change. And he never was going to. I think you're speaking to one of the core truths about Dwight Howard, though, and it has to do with the era in which he arrived as a high school kid into the league and the league not really being ready to take high school kids with that kind of talent and help them learn the game of basketball like and, and the game of, of life like he, he just came in at, at kind of a bad time. And so we saw, I think, stunted maturity from him that really impacted his career. It, it had a, a, a noticeable market impact on, uh, you know, how, how everybody regarded him and it put a ceiling 
that didn't have to be there. Are you blaming Kelvin Cato and Tony Batie right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, as you said, the the runway was open for him to dominate for 10 years. But there's another guy, when you were talking about that, I think there was another emotionally stunted guy with all this talent was Darko. Like Darko was ridiculously talented. He just couldn't, it just, he didn't have it upstairs and he never had it from the get-go. I heard a story. Dwight was able to right. get a little more. But. No, you're right. Because Darko, I'd heard a story, like they saw him cruising around in some sick SUV, like right when he started up and somebody from the Pistons is like, do you have a license? He's like, Pah. And they're like, what? <laughs> like, dude, you got to get a license. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, I don't know. I've heard that version of the story over and over again. Now it sounds a little bit like, I mean, you can you can do this like with anybody. I, which side of the story do you want to tell? You could go back. You could go, the NBA wasn't ready to accept him in uh, a new way as opposed to a traditional way. It wasn't Aaron are, Hernandez's fault. Right, right. Oh, no. I, I also can't think of anybody that's going to be such a lock Hall of Famer for the second half of his career, the last seven stops prior to this Lakers one where everybody wanted him out of there as soon as he got there. Okay, yeah. let's go through the list. Orlando at the end wanted him out of there, even though they did that fake cancellation. It was right. a driving him to the airport. Right. He was in LA one year, okay? Now, they still wanted to keep him, but this is more about, and it happens again in Houston, a team going, we don't want to pay this guy, but we want to keep the asset slot open. It's a little bit like the Golden State Warriors and James Russell. Like, yeah, yeah, Russell's not perfect, but if we lose this slot, then we can't pay anybody anymore. This year. is a future right. trade. And... Even if you don't like Kobe, I loved Kobe Dwight because it was Kobe basically telling the world, everything you think about Dwight is true. Well, and it dates back to the 08 Olympic team, which we're going to get to later. Right. He goes to Houston and it's immediately he and Harden different camps and stories that if you show up to the Rockets, like you got to figure out who you're aligning yourself with. And Dwight's still mad that Harden and maybe Dwight was early on the Harden shoots too much call, but like, yeah. guess what, Dwight? You're not the guy anymore. Houston, he lasts a year. He gets to no, Atlanta. three years in Houston. Uh, excuse me, excuse me. He left again after Houston, after they lost. They had the one decent series and they lost in the first round those other two times. Uh, Atlanta one year, Charlotte one year, the Nets one day, Washington one year, Memphis 48 days. Uh, Wait a second. And then LA again. I don't remember the Nets one. He was, he was part of trade... Uh, just he was oh, just, he wasn't and, actually he was there. the next day. It was day. the yeah. jettison. In Memphis, yeah. he wasn't actually ever there. No. He was like a seller. Kind 48 of days. And then he ends up back on the Lakers. Do you feel bad for Dwight? Because it's weird. As I was doing this, 20% of me just felt bad. And then the other 80% was like, ah, fuck it. That guy was a jackass. And I don't really know where my what my That's final funny. verdict my is. My ratio of that uh, is the jackass, it's, it's closer to 50-50. Because I maybe it was it was the Kwame Brown experience for me, yeah. And what MJ did to Kwame Brown, um, but I feel like Stan Van Gundy let Dwight Howard down a little bit. Like we don't know anything about whether Dwight came in as a as a kid and receptive to being taught. And you know, there's a whole developmental piece to a, uh, you know coming in in the in the. Uh, with the status that he arrived in, and like, why didn't he learn a, a back to the basket move? Why, why was he so stilted? Think, I don't think he had it. Some people just don't; their brain doesn't work in certain coordinated ways. Like when you have somebody on your right side, you flip to the left, or you pretend you're going to go left and flip the other way, and it's like a chess match. And I don't just don't think he ever had it. Like Akeem's entire thing is decades of footwork, playing soccer, running or removing his body and the muscles repeating these actions over and over and over again. And honestly, it's one of the most insulting things ever to think that any of these seven footers can just go hang out with Akeem for two fucking days and come back like McHale. Like it was it, it happens all of the time. And like I made a joke about it and the, the, the Akeem camp joke is so old, nobody even got it. Like I was getting OK boomered after it. But <laughs> right. it's like, like, look at Dwight's movement. It was, you could see it. You could read his brain. Ball. Okay, I have the ball. Mm, jump okay, so now, now there's somebody behind me. Okay. Now that guy's over there. Oh, okay. Somebody you know? is coming toward right. me. Okay, now I'm going to just sort of throw it up at the rim. None of it, it was always clunky. And maybe it's our, like this is a debate that I don't have the answer to. Can you get to that point where all of that shit is smooth and it works. Not like, in this case. Even at 20. I, I don't know that you can you can do that stuff. I, I don't blame, either. I blame Dwight. And to me, it's almost like a child celebrity who has a lot of good stuff early and then just thinks he's good and always wanted to be something that he wasn't. And what he was was 14 rebounds a game, incredible rim protection, 
and then put back dunks, little three inch jump hooks if he has somebody, you know, smaller in front of him. And that's really what he should have been. Let's talk about State Farm, the presenting sponsor of the Book of Basketball 2.0. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. You know what's unexpected right now? Toronto and Utah being basically the two scariest teams in basketball other than Milwaukee, who beats everybody. It might have a chance to win 70 games. Could we have a Milwaukee-Utah finals? Could that actually happen? What about a Milwaukee-Toronto conference finals and then like Utah and Denver in the other bracket or Utah and the Clippers? Lots of unexpected things going on. You look at the gambling odds right now and only three teams have better than five to one odds. Basically, everybody else is 25 to one or higher. Milwaukee, the Clippers, the Lakers. After that, nobody knows. It's an unexpected season. Get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today. Let's go through his resume fast. He's in his 16th year. He made the all-star team eight times. He's made $240 million. Five straight first-team All-NBAs, 2007 to 11. One second team, two third teams. So six times he was one of the top 10 players in the league. Three defensive player of the years, five rebounding titles, one field goal percent title, two block titles. Uh, he has the best active defensive rating, whatever, if you care about that. Best player in a finals team, that is true. Six first-round exits. Only 95 career playoff games. If you once it started to happen for him in 06, I think you would have said, oh, that guy's going to play 150 playoff games. Nope, 95. His four-year peak, these are the averages, 21 and 14, 59% field goal, 59% free throw, 2.6 blocks, 24.6 PR, plus 9.2 per 100. And Orlando, those four years, 08 to 11, in the regular season, 219 and 102. That matters. He was really good. Uh, 2009 playoffs, he was 20 and 15 in 23 games, 60% shooting. 2015 playoffs, a little underrated because that Rockets team was, you know, the Warriors had to beat them. They almost, they came pretty close to making the finals. They came back against the Clippers, 17 games, 16 and 14, 55% shooting. So there you go. Five things you need to know about Dwight. Here's the first one. Since Bill Russell retired, the only guys who averaged a 20 and 15 in the postseason for a finals team were Will Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Dave Cowens, Moses Malone, Tim Duncan, Shaquille O'Neal, and Dwight Howard. It's a good list. It's a pretty good list. I knew he was going to be on all these lists. Like you just, that, that peak stretch for him is like, that's the group he lives in for those years. This is why we had to do this podcast, though, because 50 years from now, when people are just judging basketball by the stats from the past, they're going to be like, man, that Dwight Howard. We sure he wasn't better than Shaq? I mean, stuff like that. No. Listen, don't. 50 years from now, I'm prepared for anything. <laughs> I'm prepared for. I just hope people are still subscribing. We're 10 years. <laughs> Subscribe to the Ryan Russillo podcast. I'm in a nursing home right now. Uh, 50 years? No shot for me. 50 years from now. People will be making the case that Carl Malone was as good as Michael Jordan. No, they, they will. Won't. How I'm dare you? I'm telling you they will. No. Second thing you need to know, game four of the 2009 finals is the fork in the road of his career. And that's why we covered it in the podcast. But it, uh, we decided it was one of the five biggest chokes in modern NBA basketball history. And it's been totally forgotten, which is why we're doing that game. Third thing you need to know, Zach Lowe voted for him for 2011 MVP. I went to go find the piece and all evidence has been destroyed because <laughs> there's no Sports Illustrated archives anymore. And I texted Zach and I was like, man, I wanted to read that Dwight MVP piece because I remember it. He made a very compelling statistical case. And he's like, yeah, all my stuff's gone. They just, they, I mean, everything's gone from SI and like, you know, the last 20 years of website stuff. But uh, the case was basically most impactful defensive player best player on a team that's like a top six or seven team that, and he's the best two-way player. And he had good numbers. He was 23 and 14, 59% shooting. And there was a statistical case. A lot of people just didn't want to vote for Derrick Rose. And I was a big believer of the Bulls are going to win 60 games and they're just completely built around Derrick Rose handling everything in every pivotal moment. Voters definitely fall in love with the story too, you know? True. And Hometown kid. Rose, like there are moments where 
there's so many moments in sports, especially in the voting stuff where you go, how did that happen? How did that happen? And you're like, yeah, but you're looking at it now through five years removed. You're not looking at it through the day-to-day, you know, story. And that's why Nash was able to win the second one because you were so impressed with the first time around. And then it's like, okay, he's even better now. Um, where Here, I think, you know, you can look back and look at some of the Nash stuff and be like, how the hell did he win two? You know? Here's what I wrote in the time in 2011 because I voted for Rose. Basketball players directly affect their teammates and opponents at all times. If Howard is Orlando's best player and he's holding back something every night, how can you say that doesn't affect the magic? He's their best guy. Your best guy leads. Your best guy sets the tone. When Howard cruises through quarters, picks up dumb fouls, earns dumb technicals, and disappears in crunch time, parentheses, he doesn't even rank in the top 125 for crunch time field goal attempts this season, end of parentheses. You don't think that has, has anything to do with Orlando's uneven season? Blah, blah, blah. Does it bother you? Howard still defers to Jameer Nelson down the stretch. And then I wrote, look, I'm a basketball fan. I want Dwight Howard to get there. I want to watch as many great players as possible. He's not there yet. I have NBA season tickets, and I didn't care if I saw Dwight Howard in person this season. That's your MVP, please. That was Dwight's last good season. And that was as good as it got from an MVP resume for him. And I'm just like adamantly against considering him. So I think that matters. I was I was going to a lot of basketball games that year and watching a lot and never I could not believe Dwight was an MVP. You know that people are actually no that's our guy this year. And if anything, you look back now and you think LeBron and Wade probably should have been the co MVPs. Here's a question for you: If Andre Drummond were playing in 2005, would you be arguing that he should be MVP? <laughs> right, right. Dwight was a better defensive player. He was, I'm but not the even stats that. are the same. Dwight's defensive numbers. Like, you know, it needs to be repeated. They were special, special. Right as we're starting to understand advanced metrics and we're able to put And for a big to be able to switch on a small. It's like that was always the thing with Garnett is you go, this guy is going to eat you up, but he's also never, you're never at a disadvantage on a switch. And now this whole freaking league is all it is, is the switch at the top. But um, I, I, here's, look, this was even worse than an MVP vote. I remember doing a radio segment and every now and then when you're doing radio every day, you'll be like, and I was you know, pretty consistent to be like, this is what I believe, you know, like I didn't ever go on the air and be like, all right, I don't believe this stuff. Like I remember working with somebody who was like, just be wrong once a month, like fucking epically wrong. Just yeah. make up shit. Just give it one day. Give, you know, just give the people what they Wrong want. day. Coming just up next. Wrong. No, wrong. seriously. Like just, I actually contemplated doing asshole week where I was going to say the worst shit ever for an entire week, like a total pivot from, you know, me being thought out and reasoned, be like, no, just asshole takes three hours a day, five days a week to see if anybody caught on. Sponsored by Old Spice. Right. (laughs) Old Spice would have been perfect. Yeah. But I was doing the, because I always like to do this, it's different than MVP, it's different than your top five list. If you're starting a franchise tomorrow, who do you take? And I was still kind of in this, early NBA big man haze that you you can't win without a big man. Well, now, especially you, if you have the one big man that nobody else has, how big yeah. of an advantage. So is I was like, look, is it a lock that you would start your team, your franchise with LeBron for the next 10 years over Dwight? And I did that segment and I'm ashamed and I should stop reminding people. <laughs> wow. But that's- Can we dig that up, please? But that's where I was with Dwight at one point. And that 2009 thing, which wasn't just him, it was an incredible mismatch on the perimeter yeah. for those huge Orlando players against a really small backcourt for Cleveland, where after like the first game, I remember going, oh, wait, like there's Cleveland's got a real problem here yeah. outside. But to think that Dwight at, in his mid-20s of 2009 and where this was going to go- and then it was kind of like turmoil with Orlando, which isn't unique to him, but it just, it turned on him in a way that, you know, I don't even know, I don't know what he would be like on a team without LeBron. Like, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves here, but the only reason I think this is working is that he knows he can't fuck around with LeBron. Can finally follow. I don't know. I I, I think. You think he would have given in now and he'd, he'd be a nice role player somewhere else finally? I think he had yes. to hit rock bottom. Yes. He's also yes. healthier, which, you know. Well, I think there, there's a long story in NBA history of guys like Dwight in the Dwight phylum coming around if there was a guy like LeBron. I think Rodman leaving San Antonio is a good example. Rodman, nobody would touch. That guy was like fucking toxic. And they gave him to MJ. And, and there's a fear factor with the best guys. I want to make an observation that is uh, bizarre. But I, uh, I think he was kind of done a disservice by never being injured in the first part of his career because the emotional immaturity that he showed his like inability his uh, the lack of emotional IQ he couldn't connect with other folks 
And you mentioned the hitting rock bottom thing. I don't think he hit enough adversity in his life to have to confront, you know, and and hit the reset button in a way that that would permit him to go ahead and be more like the 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 all of the evidence of the last seven or eight years leading up to this moment where you know Washington was was rock bottom. And that he was genuinely hurt, I believe. I don't have any reason to doubt yeah. the injury that kept him out. He played nine games in Washington. And at the beginning of the season, before that season last year in Washington started, I thought that he might be good. I thought that the version we're seeing right now could be the version that he showed in Washington. Because there was a template created the last five years with three ball for guys who could just have two skills only could now become valuable NBA players. Where it's like, can you screen and roll with your hands up? And on the other end, can you do this? <laughs> and when guys are out of the basket, that's all we need. And Tyson Chandler's still getting paid. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, like, there's no reason why Dwight couldn't have been that before. But Tyson Chandler became Tyson Chandler a lot earlier because he never reached the peaks of Dwight. Hold on. We got to keep going. Uh, fourth thing you need to know about Dwight. People start, the, the whispers really started during the 2008 Olympics when he annoyed teammates and coaches for his whole happy-go-lucky jackass routine, uh, nearly fouled out of the gold medal game against Spain, which was one of the great TV events of the last 20 years that nobody saw because it was the middle of the night. He played just 17 minutes and got his ass kicked by the Gasol Hermanos. They killed him. Back surgery knocked him out of the 2012 Olympics. And here's what I wrote back uh, in 2012 range. The USA basketball community wasn't exactly crestfallen. As one insider told me at the time, quote, now we don't have to babysit him. And that was a good insider too. Uh, fifth thing you need to know. we So we cover in this follow-up pod how unique that 09 Magic team was in the time where you had just shooters built around the one guy and how that would become the model for what we're watching now. So I, I don't want to step on that too much, but... Um, it was a revolutionary kind of idea to play that way and to have Turk, Turk Glue as the point forward. and Rashard Lewis. Just everybody spread around. In the corners. And they blew Cleveland out in that series. Like the, the game six, do or die game was a blowout. And it was all built around the stuff Dwight was doing. And it's interesting when we watch that series to prepare for that podcast, how kind of shockingly ahead of its time that model was. Meanwhile, J.J. Reddick's like barely playing. Like if you redid that team, J.J.'s out there all the time. You know, Ray yeah, Stan really didn't like JJ no, early he, on. They, and I kept thinking, like, JJ can't be this bad because I remember liking him. So big, you go 09 10, and then the, the follow up to this fifth thing you need to know that those two seasons that we mentioned really hurt his standings because he feuded with Stan Van Gundy, who everybody liked. He completely caved during the trade deadline, which we mentioned. And then the Lakers season, by the end of that, the Lakers fans were like, fuck this guy. How do we get rid of him? So there you go. What's age the best? So you talked about year by year actually thinking, oh, if I'm starting a team blank. So I actually was doing the trade value columns for pretty much Dwight's whole prime. He was number six, highest trade value in the league in 2006. 07, 09, 2010, 2011. I did columns all of those years. He was second each time. Yeah. I, when you said six, I'm like, he's got to be higher yeah. somewhere. So yeah. he's second for basically That's not a five-year stretch. For, wasn't for, for younger people listening to this right now, I'm telling you right now, that, that was right. Yeah. He was sixth in 2012. At least the way we saw the game. Oh, you know, maybe, maybe we're wrong. I don't have any regrets. Because um, they'd made the finals with him. So it, it's not like he didn't back it up at least a little bit. Uh, he was 18th in 2013. And, and he, got away, he got in the way of the finals that everybody wanted to see. And I remember running to you at ESPN's campus where I was like, hey, are you doing the World Cup thing? And you're like, are you nuts? Kobe LeBron? Right, right, right. And I, I remember like, that. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Why would anybody want to go anywhere? Because like there was a chance when we were doing the World Cup stuff back then, it was like, we got to sell, sell, you know, Bill's the voice of a generation. <laughs> <laughs> Finals, what uh, ifs, that's way up there. That I mean, one. it was a whole Everyone ad. wanted it. Because I mean, Kobe about, hadn't won without Shaq and LeBron had it one period. Right. And all of us were like, come on, give it to us. And I had him 32nd in 2015. So I had an email once from Jared in Bowling Green, Connecticut, who said, quote, There's a Bowling Green, Connecticut? I'm sorry, Bowling Green, uh, Kentucky. Oh, that makes more sense. Great catch. Kentucky, though. Lexington, named after Lexington, Mass., the Battle of. Jared wrote, Dwight is the real-life Josh Baskin, the kid from Big. Mm. Never before have I seen a 23-year-old who actually reminds me of most fourth graders 
I suggest that Dwight be cast as Josh Baskin if Big is ever remade with an all-black cast like they did with Can't Buy Me Love. He was made to play that role. And then I followed up, is it a good thing that our number two trade value guy was just compared to the kid from Big and the comparison worked? I can't decide. It turns out it wasn't a good thing. And that really was a good comparison because he really was the overgrown little kid in the giant adult body. And Josh Baskin's perfect. I've never heard one good locker room story. Um, All the stuff that we've heard over the years. And it was, you know, I remember the first time it started happening about 10 years ago. Where, again, when you make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, you beat LeBron, you're in the NBA Finals. That was maybe a five-game series that felt closer watching it every single night. Um, then you look back at it, it 10 close. years. It was close. Yeah, close. yeah. And, uh, and then you're like, no, 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 he's, he's a total pain in the ass. Like, no one could see him in the locker room. And you're like, really? Who cares? You know, 20 and 15 every single night. I'm going to go back and read some of these quotes. Um, when he went to Washington, he said, quote, I learned magic for eight years, went to La La Land, worked for a while with the Rockets, learned to fly with some Hawks, got stung by the Hornets, and it all taught me how to be a wizard crickets um when asked about <laughs> going to the white house with donald trump in there if he won a title with charlotte he said if the hornets win the title he'd be willing to visit the dwight house crickets um harden <laughs> once told rockets management according to espn's tim mcmahon that they should bench howard for clint capella harden how about that call back then five years ago he was right Dennis Schroeder once said after playing with him to Zach Lowe when their Atlanta run, he said, quote, Dwight plays hard four games each year. Um, it's just, I mean, all this stuff is out there. I could have done even more, but you just keep going through it and you go, you know how unlikable you have to be to not be a dick and have everyone not like you? Well, so that's when, what it seems like. When I did my book and I read every basketball book ever, and I was just stunned by the amount of Rick Barry content. Yeah, right, right. And I, I ended up, I, I wrote a whole thing about him in the book. I still made him one of the 25 best players ever, but throughout the book, I was just sprinkling in Rick Barry stuff because it was just this overwhelming mountain of evidence that everybody couldn't stand this guy. And then he got upset about it after the book came out. And I'm sorry, Rick, but um, that I was just based on the history. This was, this was the legacy you left. All of these people just crushing you left and right. And Dwight is kind of the benevolent version of that for this generation. I think he's the guy who will take the biggest beating historically with the anecdotes like the ones you just said. And and the fact that like the 08 Olympic team was out on him and Kobe and just all of his peers were kind of like, fuck that guy. Well, look at the resume. Again, I went over. Other than that Houston stretch, everything was a year or less for seven straight teams. Like we can't get this guy out of here quick enough. Hey, finding a dress shirt that fits is hard. Collars are too tight. Sleeves are too long. Something is always not right. I have some experience with this. I'm 6'1". Got kind of a long torso. Always always hard to find the perfect shirt to fit my goofy body. Good news. Ordering a custom fit shirt has never been easier thanks to Proper Cloth at propercloth.com. You can easily create a custom shirt size in seconds just by answering 10 easy questions like, do you want pockets? If so, what kind? You get to create your custom size, completely customize the shirt to get the style you want down in the pockets, choice to customize over 30 different style points or select from hundreds of pre-designed shirts. They work with the best fabric producers from around the world. They only buy fabrics that meet their high quality expectations. Each one of their shirts goes through extensive quality control testing. So you're getting the absolute best quality and craftsmanship. One of the things I like with shirts with the uh, button down long sleevers I like when they hang out over the belt a little bit. I don't like tucking my shirt in, but I like when it hangs out over. So it's not like you, you know, every time I stretch, you see my belly button. You can do these things in proper cloth. Stop wearing shirts that don't fit. Start looking best with a custom fitted shirt. Propercloth.com slash basketball. Enter gift code basketball to save $20 off your first shirt and find out why proper cloth is the best custom shirt maker. Go to propercloth.com slash basketball. I don't have another, any other what's age the best. So I'm going to move to what's age the worst. Oh now my this, God, it's going to get negative now? <laughs> this first one, just just let me play this one out. Dwight's Superman dunk in 2008 in the slam dunk contest. I was in the house for that one. It was fucking awesome. It was a great moment. It hasn't aged that well because I think it's tied into part of the whole Superman. And it wasn't really a dunk? Him. Well, it was just a good dunk. It was a moment. Mm. He put the cape on and was like, all right, this is cool. Now I'm embarrassed by it. So that's age the worst for me. Uh, 
he just, this is another one, Sage. This is, he just stole Shaq's Superman gimmick. He just took it. Shaq, Shaq was still in the league and he was like, I'm going to be Superman too. And I think it really did, uh, it did him some disservice. Cause like, I was always upset when LaDainian Tomlinson took LT from Lawrence Taylor and became LT. Cause for us, for our generation, it's like LT is like a, a Greek God. Like he's, I can't imagine can't ever aspiring him. to be that unoriginal. Like you have all these people around you. Like, how do you go, Hey, don't do the Superman thing. I don't like, think he has people around him. This well, is maybe part that's of, part of the problem. Like looking back and and you know trying to do this this the psychology of it all. That's what's so compelling to me. Well, how so about all the other so superheroes he could have picked? Of course, the whole Marvel could've universe, Captain, DC Captain Comics, America, yeah, could've, anything, any of the Alpha Flight guys, were Plastic available. Man, he could have been. What a jackass! Could have been the Hulk, just jackass. What um, you know? What else was bad was his Sports Center ad was terrible when he was Clark Kent. And he just kept pushing his glasses up seven times in the same ad. And you were like, all right, we got it. I don't think you jumped on it enough when I have mentioned now twice how Dwight used to swat the ball into the fifth row over just redirecting it to a teammate for a fast break. Yeah, I've, I feel I've, you have 20 good seconds on this. <laughs> no, I, I go at you on this one. I reject it like Dwight. Uh, you guys that are mad about the turnover after the block shot, it gets more than just... Oh, you flipped it out. Oh, man. yeah, yeah. Like, I remember I read a Sloan the piece going on? saying how like a block shot is totally overrated because you don't retain the possession. I'm like, look, I understand the math, but how do you not factor in that it changes the way you go at a, a player knowing that he can do that to you, that he can block your shot? Some offensive players, when they get their shit sent back, they're not the same the rest of the game. And even though Dwight... You know, it's hard to do the Bill Russell thing. I think you'd have to have a generation of players teach themselves that it's not a block shot because it's fun. It's aggressive. Like you love doing it. And I think it does kind of set some sort of tone that doesn't just lead to like, hey, it's your possession again. I think the math leaves all of that reality out. So I've always disagreed with you. I'm going to side with Bill Russell. No offense. He's won 11 titles. Bill was like, <laughs> keep the ball in bounds. <laughs> side with that guy. Seems like he knew, knew what he was doing. Uh, keep the bomb bounce on the list of things to knock Dwight on this isn't very high <laughs> alright I'll go to the next one so I, this is something I, I wrote I love that you thought you, you looked at me and saw an ally <laughs> it was like actually I've made a deal with Spain it wasn't the first time <laughs> uh, I wrote this in December 10th, 2007 and it's definitely aged the worst <laughs> quote one other bonus with Howard that nobody mentions because he's a devout Christian even when he turns 35 in 2020, right now, those will be Christian years. He won't have any of that smoking, drinking, partying mileage on him, which means he could play at a high level until his early 40s, much like Kurt Warner. In other words, Howard could and should shatter nearly every rebounding record if healthy. And even if he averages a 23-13 for the next 12 years, parentheses, a conservative guess, when you throw in the previous three seasons... Howard would suddenly be in striking distance of two-thirds of the conceivable NBA records that ever meant anything. And to think, just seven months ago, I wasn't sure if he was better than Al Jefferson. That is in my archives on ESPN. It's tough. You need those ESPN archives to go like the SI archives. <laughs> you need, you well, Zach called away. in a favor. Zach's like, hey, man, can you get rid of my 2011 MVP <laughs> column? Just, just press it. Mm. There's a delete button to the far right. Yeah, just put, put, that, put that. There is something, though, to that observation and his upbringing and he did go wild how many children by how many well but at that time i didn't know who's gonna go wild i know but this alleged is, this is yeah but at that point no alleged. Really, he's I mean, had he has a few kids alleged this is taking an hour it's not before, alleged. the know, kids look, are, are alive so dwight the kids thing some other things that have happened we're gonna they're not so talk, we're they're not so gonna weird. discuss on the pot right they're so weird that There's like stuff we probably talk about it, right. yeah but we're gonna stay away next category too early, too later, just right. I want to say just right, but I, I actually think he's too early. I wish if he comes around 10 years later, I think he's the prototype screen and roll guy. He might be the only too early, too late nominee ever. But he could be both? Yeah. I agree with, with our He was either 10 years too early or 10 years too late. Maybe that's why totally he's so fucked up. This. Was he a one of one is the next category? The answer is no. No, definitely not. Wait a minute. You really think we're going to have a surefire Hall of Famer that not even by 30 is on that many teams for the second part of his career? 
And he's I, a one of one. Oh, he's a one of one because of, yeah. of how weird his career he's was. A Joker. I, I just I don't know that we're ever going to see anything like this okay. again. Okay, ah, fair point. All right. And it never's a long time. So was he one of one? I'll go. We'll go with maybe. Well, I'm one of one based on skill, though. Nerd no, corner. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. Nerd corner. Dwight was first in free throw attempts four times. He attempted 916 free throws in 2011. Ninth all-time in free throw attempts. That's November for Harden. Well, I mention it because watching Dwight Howard shoot free throws was one of the least fun things in the history of basketball. I, I would say Shaq, because Shaq, like, he, he would do this thing and, like, his eyes would start crossing as he was about to shoot and just all hell was breaking loose. But it was actually kind of fun to watch Shaq. And it was Dwight, it was just like, oh, yeah, they hack a Shaq Dwight. Oh, my God. Neither one of those guys trying the underhand will go down as an all-time regret for me. Shaq could have gotten away with yeah. the underhanded free throw. He was so beloved. Unintentional comedy wrinkle. We won't go with House's pick for this category. We will go with Dwight's farting. So I actually researched the whole genesis of the Dwight farting thing. It started in 2012 when somebody asked Glenn Davis, who was on The Magic, what The Magic would miss most without Howard. And he said, quote, the thing we're going to miss most about Dwight is his farting ability. A great farter. He can fart. He can fart loud. The loudest farts. Silent farts. It was Glenn Davis on Dwight Howard. And then there, so I was like, oh, I wonder if there's more. 2009 Sports Illustrated cover story. Quote, Howard fools around at practice during press conferences and during shoot-around. Where Magic coach Stan Van Gundy has had to institute a no-flatuance rule because his forward Richard Lewis says, Dwight really likes to cut the cheese. So for anyone who was thought we were being too harsh earlier with Dwight being a jackass, these are two actual things you can look up. Dwight was a jackass. Yeah, he would fart in film rooms. I'd hear, I'd hear about it, and, like, it sucked. Nobody wanted to deal with it. <laughs> like, look, I get everybody's got their days where it's not going right. right. But um, The pipes are a little you know, clogged. Working in a radio studio, like, if you fart in the studio before I come in and do my show, like, I want to fight you. Right. And there was somebody at ESPN that used to do it. Just shit himself. The whole shift. <laughs> do his three-hour show, stink it up, and be like, oh, sorry, dude. Be like, no, you're a selfish asshole who decided to just fart because you felt more... It's like farting on a plane. Like, I get it. It hurts. Stomach doesn't feel great. Right. There's a, couple, there's a bunch of other people on here. So, adjust. And Dwight never adjusted for other people. It's a very selfish trait. We were on a flight with somebody that was farting, and my wife, this is her all-time number one pet peeve of all time, actually stood up, turned around, and goes, just stop it! <laughs> <laughs> just to everyone on the plane. <laughs> Nobody knew what's happening except the one I love that. Because, you yeah. know, you're just letting somebody, like, that's kind of the gym He's move. putting them on. You're like, are we done here? We're right. done over here, right? Huh? And then you can just, you can apply it to anything. Well, Dwight, if you Google Dwight Howard farting or Dwight Howard farts, Things come up, which is part of the issue with this Hall of Fame pyramid candidacy. I don't think it'll come up during the induction speech. His defining playoff moment, Game 6, 2009, Cleveland. They're up 3-2. 40 and 14 he puts up to knock out LeBron. 14 for 21 from the field. 12 for 16 from the line. Four assists. Plus 13. Nobody else on the team hit 20 points. They, uh, they hit... 12 threes. JJ with the DMP. Stan, what did JJ do to Stan? I guess he couldn't play defense. Um, and that, you know, that goes on his... I think that was Stan, by the way, saying that, not me. Because, like, yeah. that it took JJ that long to be accepted. It's also the transition of the game itself. But now this isn't the JJ pyramid, so... LeBron won the MVP that year. He knocked LeBron out of the playoffs, and LeBron was playing out of his ass. He was great that series. Great. And he just, he went toe-to-toe -to -toe with him in that last game. So that counts. Market corrector or market corrected. Did somebody else come along and market correct the things we liked about him? No. I think people were like, we're good. Let's not, let's not do this again. Hottest retroactive take, next category. One you wish you had in the moment. I didn't think about this till recently. Where will Dwight's retirement ceremony be? I guess it's Orlando, right? But those fans don't even like him. Whoa. That's unbelievable. What a great... Maybe at the draft when all the teams are there. Well, if he makes a big contribution to the Lakers this year and the Lakers win and he gets a ring with the Lakers, well, you know, he could go to the, his last beloved site. 
two years? I honestly don't know. It's like man without a team. The tribute like video, Clements. though. See, but it never, never rule this out. Like when teams have bad stretches or it's a new ownership or something's going on, the distraction ceremony to distract you from everything. And I'm sure there'll be some stretch with Orlando where it's not going great, years removed, and they go, you know what? Let's have a let's have a positive night here and raise a Dwight banner and, you know, we can say all the right things and, you know, just pretend that he didn't ask out for two years. I wanna we can ask Kevin Clark. I just what would the circumstances well, so be? This whole league now does tribute videos for guys that just to prove how pro player every organization is. Like there should be somebody actually at the ringer should do this. The 10 worst like tribute videos of the player that's coming back that barely did anything and no one actually likes. And I think the Rockets did start this, by the way. Yeah. Because the Rockets did a Dwight thing when he came back to play. They did? Yeah, I guarantee it. Let me it look at it. It should have been him farting. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have even shown any highlights. There's no way. He was only there three years. Off a of house's point. He's averaging an eight and eight right now. But is there a world where he plays 30 minutes a game in the playoffs? Sure. And wins the title with the Lakers and gets just belatedly adopted as a Laker by the, by almost like what happened with our test. Yeah. Like our test became a Laker with that one, three and it's in up game to Kobe. seven. If, if Kobe permits it, Kobe will never permit it. Well, there you go. You just, you just gave me your answer. People, when you win, man, it's like no one cares. Here we go. February 2nd, 2017, Houston Rockets. Thank you. Video to Dwight Howard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for leaving. No, I'm telling you, man, like there's a story to be told where somebody goes through and ranks all of these because now it's, it's just it's a out great of idea. That's so unbelievable. When, I can't believe it. So when we do the podcast and we put the full podcast on YouTube, we'll run this whole thank you video to Dwight Howard. How many views? 25,000. What was his Some best pickings. moment? What was his best well, moment in Houston? the finals. Now they just showed an argument with Ian Harden. No, actually, I remember his best moment. He farted once on Gerald Green yes. and it knocked him unconscious. <laughs> and they're still talking about it years later. Two more categories. Biggest what if sliding doors moment for Dwight. Now, you could go 2009 finals here. And what if Courtney Lee makes the layup? What if Dwight hits his two free throws in game four? What if they flip that series and actually won? I think probably the right team won. And I think every series has what ifs, but that's a good what if. But I'm going to go with this one. It's a little under the radar. You don't have this one. This is... This is where I really shine moments like this. Orlando drain, drafting Fran Vasquez over Danny Granger in 05. Oh. Everybody drafted over Danny Granger. No, this year. was like within three spots. And no, this no, was you're right, right. Right around right. when it was like, why wouldn't you draft Danny Granger? He's great. So if they just do that, then they don't have to spend $118 million on Richard Lewis. And then they're not in the freaking salary cap hell during the last Otis two years. Otis Smith did a bad job. He did a terrible job. Yeah. Uh, and they're not in that salary cap with Dwight in 10 and 11. And they're not trading for Vince Carter at the tail end of his prime. And they're not having to make all these crazy moves trying to salvage that Richard Lewis contract. Trading for Gilbert Arenas. Yeah. The Arenas thing was like, you go, how how is Arenas possibly going to be moved? You're like, Orlando. <laughs> you're like, man. Uh, so if they take Granger in 05... You don't need Richard Lewis. You can spend that money either on multiple players or you can do lower risk contracts, whatever you want. It's all because they messed that up. And that was one of those picks when they made it. People were like, what? Fran Vasquez? Really? It was. It just made no sense. And it made no sense that Granger I still dropped. can't believe the end of his Orlando thing. He's 26. Overrated, underrated, or properly rated? I think properly rated. He is, he, he's not beloved. He's the definition of properly rated. No, then, I'm going to say overrated only because the the rapid fire, like, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. And you just go, yeah, but then that means there's a problem with how we look at Hall of Famers. Like, I, I think it should at least be, he's getting in. I'm not arguing that against getting in. But, but when it's this slam dunk thing because you were really good defensively and, you know, the numbers are there for those five or six years. The numbers but, are there, but the the I think the two things, and the reason I had him 65th in the Hall of Fame pyramid, the 09 finals, getting there and beating LeBron, and then being the second vote getter in the MVP matters. 
Everyone five all that NBA seasons. first teams. Yeah, he's five all five straight all NBAs, but then also one season where somebody's like he's the second best player in the league, and there's a consensus. Right, but like say oh, that Pat, pretty good. Say Pat Mahomes wins the Super Bowl this year. Okay, he's already got an MVP. I don't know where he's going to finish in the voting this year. He, he would have been maybe number two if he was healthy all year, and has like three more years like this. And then in 2023, he's on seven teams for the next seven years. And no one can stand him. Isn't Terrell Davis the better example here without the seven extra teams? Yeah, but that's part of it. Like, basically, the Hall of Fame becomes, what's your peak? And then none of the other stuff matters. And I don't know that that's, that's the right way to go so about you're it. Saying, that's the NBA. The NBA, everybody gets in. Okay, when you look at the so, list of who gets inducted in, it's not the NBA, right? It's Spencer Haywood got in. He yes, tried, pro he basketball tried to hire Hitman and kill his coach. <laughs> That happened. That's right. So that's the, the threshold. Any last thoughts, Rosillo? Yeah. Um, you see the body, you see the numbers, you see all the stuff early on, and then it's completely unfulfilling. And to be fair, you know, we should always bring up the back injury, but it probably took him a while to realize that it wasn't everything around him, that it was him. And, you know, just like that guy that grew up in your town, that's brilliant. And maybe he did go to Harvard and then 20 years later, you're renting videos from him and he's telling you why Clockers <laughs> is actually better than Boys in the Hood. And you just go, you know, it doesn't always work out for everybody. Like not everybody cashes in on the gifts that they're given. We can't all be winners. Well, at least he cashed in literally because he made $240 million. Yeah, but that's not, that's so that not happened. what this is. A, like no, none I of us know. are sitting there. Like if you're doing the basketball argument, be like whatever, dude, he banged 240 and more than you'll ever make. I'm like that, you're missing the entire point is that what we thought he could be and where this was going to go for the second part of if his if his NBA career is two acts, that's about as big a gap between the two acts of any player that I've ever seen. There's one other piece, and I had thought about putting this in the sliding what ifs. I mean, I'm sorry, the uh, the greatest what if. So if Dwight actually the greatest doors the sliding what if doors, if Dwight does figure it out, and he's actually becomes the guy we want him to become. In a weird way, that shifts the legacy for LeBron a little bit, too. Well, Because now he has this fucking guy he has to deal with every year that you're not beating with Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. The opportunity, and I think it's fair to criticize Kobe for this, the opportunity for that what if is Kobe helping Dwight figure it out. If Kobe was a better leader, if Kobe wasn't a selfish prick that, that, <laughs> that he was from the, the day he arrived in the league yeah. until the day that he finished his career. I will accept some Kobe criticisms, as Phil Jackson pointed out to Kobe, and I try to remind uh, people that are good at what they do, is that whatever your 10 is, that's probably everybody else's eight, and they just don't know it. So you have to adapt to those around you. But when it comes to Kobe slander, I will not hear Kobe slander in favor of a pro-Dwight argument. It's not a pro-Dwight argument. It's a what-if opportunity if Kobe was a different leader. My favorite Kobe career moment is him yelling at Dwight, you're soft. <laughs> and that we know who you are. Because I was like... They Kobe were just, teammates! Kobe just told the rest... He confirmed to the rest of the world what we all thought we knew. They were Dwight. teammates. I do think he helped Gasol. Kobe? Yeah. I think he yelled at him a lot. No, I think he really... I think whatever he did to Gasol... And if you watch that 2010 finals carefully, and I may or may not have watched game seven recently, don't ask why, Gasol is the best player in that game and is the toughest guy in that game, more importantly. Because in OA, one of the reasons the Celtics beat them was they Gasol wasn't tough enough and they just bullied him. That's one of the all-time sliding doors moments for Kobe that never is brought up. Well, it'll be brought up on this podcast, my friend. Getting, getting Gasol. Do you want in? Res I'm taking reservations right. for guestos. It is like those pre-Gasol years are almost omitted from the record of like Kobe May. Three have, of them. Kobe may have been this like amazing scorer on a seven seed team if Memphis didn't hook them up with the with the whole Jerry West deal where the rest of the NBA. It's Chris Wallace. And I, it wasn't like I talked to all 30 teams, but there were other teams you're like, we didn't even know Powell was available. Well, remember, like, this is that ridiculous. was the first time I'll never Popovich it. lost his mind. I was at the Super Well, because Bowl everybody was upset that it was a Jerry West, Chris Wallace Two weeks deal. before the deadline or three weeks before yeah. the deadline. Nobody knew he was on the block. People were pissed off. Yeah, that was bad. I'm one week. of them. Yeah. yeah. And you weren't even a GM. Um, <laughs> but another little one is if Garnett in 09, which Tom Thibodeau has told me Utah numerous times, Garnett, that like that 09 team was the best of the three Celtics teams, 08. 
that won, 10 that lost in game seven. He was like, oh, nine is when we were the best. And that Celtics team still almost beat the Magic in 2009. And Ray Allen shot 19% from three. So he couldn't make a shot. They Garnett, lost a game seven at home by like 30. Right. And Garnett never played. So if Garnett had been healthy, a big baby that at least for that series, we're not looking at Dwight as like this signature moment of 2009 and true. facing the Lakers. That's true. Good point. But, you know, look, th- this league's history is riddled with what ifs of injuries that we've all forgotten. I just like that we got to shit on two Lakers titles there. <laughs> this is awesome. What a great way to end this. For Ryan Russell and Joe House, my name is Bill Simmons. We're going to be back next week on this podcast with part two of the Dwight Howard extravaganza where we talk about game four, 2009 finals, a rewatchables, me and House with Orlando fan Kevin Clark. Oh, nice. This is not a lot of worst moments of my life for Magic fans, but this was a worst moment and an unbelievable collapse. I had forgotten what a collapse was, so stay tuned next week. We'll see you then.